0: Hello! How are y'all doing this morning? Oh, good. I'm glad to hear your awesomeness. Um, y'all are a little, uh, a little riled up today for some reason. I don't know. That's a good thing, I think. Um, so if you're new here, welcome to life. Um, my name's Randy, and I'm sorry. Just going to pre-apologize to you right now. Um, we, uh, we are back. Guys, we're back in the Gospel of John. We have not been in the Gospel of John for two months um, because in December we went through Christmas, you know, Christmas messages, and then in January we like to kind of lay out what the year is going to be like. Um, I want to challenge you: go back and listen to there's the the sermons that you've missed. We I don't know if y'all know we have a podcast. No, we do. It's on all your podcast places that you get podcasts. Uh, Like and subscribe. Anyway. I've never said that out loud, like and subscribe. I just see it all the time. So um, um, as we've talked about kind of where we are, we're going in a really good direction. Our church is going in a really good direction. Um, Rob's kind of a smart mouth in the the sound booth there, and he said, are you ready for another service? Because as we look around the room, we can't really grow that much more in this room. So um, in first service, there's still space. So if you want to come a little bit earlier, that'd be great. Some of y'all come a little bit earlier and leave some space for some new people. Um, And so that I don't have to tell you, hey, get out of that chair. It's not for you. Like, you know, I'm going to kick you out of church. Um, But everybody say, life is good. Life is good. 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 I'm I'm very excited. Um, Last week I talked about, it's kind of funny how this plays out. So last week um, I used this this example of what a perfect church is like a perfect church has three different very distinct three different types of people the first third is the mature christians and we'll talk about that in a minute but one third of the church is mature christians one third of the church is new believers and then one third of the church i had a table up here that's what i'm doing here and one third of the church is um what i called thugs um, but really, they're just people that don't know Jesus yet. And they, they, Jesus is not even on their radar. Um, God is not, they're not, not even a consideration. So, and I've, been, I've spoken at a lot of different places where people have come and they said, hey, we want that. We want to have a church that really reaches out to people like that, non-church people that where they'll, they'll come to our church and they'll feel like they're welcome. And I always try to talk people out of it. I'm like, you don't really want that. Because that means they're going to steal your toilet paper. They're gonna steal your decorations. They're gonna they're gonna be like kind of like y'all act during worship, you know, not really paying attention and running around and uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know, they're gonna be, they're not gonna know how to act in church and I'm I'm not sure you want that. And like, yeah, then we want that. And so um, I talk about those types of people, and I really want those types of people. So this morning, I went to get donuts at 715, as I do every Sunday morning. By 725, someone had busted out the back window of my truck over here and they stole my miter saw out of the back seat. Some thug. Like, y'all, look, first of all, y'all put way too much weight on that. Like, that's not, uh, I am telling you, I'm not bothered at all by it, at all, because those are the type of people that we are trying to reach. Whenever, like, y'all are like, oh, no, something ungodly happened at church like I'm so glad it was my saw and not yours. Like truly, I mean that. I'm not trying to be humble. I'm like, I. I it doesn't bother me at all because I have prayed that that saw is gonna cut to the core of the heart of that person. Y'all see how it did that? Yeah. See how it did that? So, no, really, it's like it's like I, I'm. I've prayed. You know, God, just wake them up. Let. I mean, if that if they need they need that saw more than I do, apparently more than i need my window but the saw you know so you know it's it's okay those are the types of people that we want to reach and those are the types of people that <laughs> bump that thing uh, those are the types of people that hopefully will soon be sitting in these empty seats yeah, and know. and it's going to be uncomfortable guys and some of you church people are going to be like mm, i'm not sure this is the place for me and if you're uncomfortable being around those people you are right, that this is not going to be the place for you. Maybe it is now because you're around other Christians and it feels good and, and, and it does and it should and you should feel encouraged, but we're, we're trying to reach people that are on their way to hell and uh, whatever it takes, we're going to do that. Are y'all with me on that? Yes. I mean, it don't sound like it. You're like, mm. So anyway, um, the reason I keep mentioning the podcast to you is that before you get home today, the podcast from today's message will be on... It'll be available. It, it's, it's available in Spotify almost immediately, but it takes a little longer because Apple's the worst. Um, y'all, do y'all have iPhones? <laughs> Android, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, you can share. You should share on your social media. You should share the church and what, and what God is speaking to you. Sometimes you'll hear something and you'll be like, oh, Susie needs to hear that. So you can send it to Susie. Because Susie's pretty hard-headed. She, she's not going to listen to it from you, but maybe she'll hear it from me, right? So uh, we are going to reach out mode. For the first three years, we are starting our fourth year of being in existence. For the first three years, we've been establishing a base of people that are able and equipped to reach out. We're done establishing a base. Now we're going to reach out. Yeah. Okay, so y'all, I'm serious. Y'all are like, yeah, we want that. Okay, your windows are going to get broken and your saws are going to get stolen okay? Don't bring your... Also, I know that none of you probably do this, but if you have a gun in your vehicle, don't keep it in your vehicle with only glass between the criminal and your gun. No, don't do that. Keep it it safely in a place that is... I mean, you can bring it in here as long as you don't shoot each other. But you can bring it in here, okay? Sometimes worship gets really exciting. i are like, pop, 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 like, please, <laughs> please, like, yo, Sam Sam up in here, like, whoa, they're Like like, be responsible. You shouldn't have a gun if you can't be responsible. So, that got out of hand quick. All right, the Gospel of John. Um, whenever. Uh, people ask me all the time, hey, I, I want to read the Bible, but I don't know where to start. Or I've, I've read some of the Bible, but it's just, I'm not connecting with it. I always tell them, go read the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is like, it tells you why it was written. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The reason that the book was written is right there. It's so that you would believe. If you have not read the Bible, you're trying to get back into reading the Bible, go and read the Gospel of John. And I promise you, you will be challenged. You will see God, you will see Jesus in a different way if you've never experienced it before. So um, we are starting John chapter 9 today. Is, isn't that great? It's like so exciting, like chapter 9. So you might think, well, I'm, I'm pretty early in the, the process if, I haven't heard, if you haven't heard any of these other messages. This is the 41st message. So John chapters 1 through 8 took 40 sermons, okay? I don't know how many it's going to take to get to the end because it's more. So uh, it's more. It's a lot more. So if y'all would just listen faster, we could get through it faster, okay? Let me give you some, cons, some context on where we are in the Gospel of John. It was, uh, it's at the fall of the year, in the beginning of John chapter 9. It's at the fall of the year. It's the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus had been teaching in the temple early in the morning, and he's faced with this test. They bring this woman that's caught in the act of adultery, and they throw her at, her, at his feet. And then, obviously, he forgives her. We know the story. Um, and in, uh, in the temple that, that he, he's talking about, he's in the temple where all the religious elite are and all the Pharisees and all these people that really got it together, the mature Christians, uh, they're not Christians, but the mature believers, mature under, people that know the Word of God and, and they've got it down and they don't need anybody to tell them anything. And he's in there saying that he's the Messiah and he is, he is the Son of God and he is God. And so uh, some believed what he said and then some argued. And then the last chapter ends like this, John chapter 8 ends like this. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, Bible scholars argue, I don't know if y'all know this, but sometimes Christians argue with other Christians, okay? And if you think that's bad, Bible scholars be arguing with each other a lot, okay? So, Bible scholars are like, they're like, well, we think there was a lot of time. There were several months that passed between the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. So I'm going to show you. This is the last verse of chapter 8. It says, and then going through the midst of them and so passed by, the beginning of chapter 9, as he passed by. (laughs) It seems pretty clear to me, but I mean, I'll argue with you, I guess. All right, right. we're going to read all of our verses, and then we're going to break them down. So, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It's him. Others said, Nope, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, Yo, it's me, dog." Uh, So they said to him, Then... How were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he's like, Okay. There's a lot there. And the, the last little section of it is like my favorite. It's one of my favorite things to teach. So I might, I said this in first service and then I didn't do what I said I was going to do, but I might go a little fast at times. It's just because I'm so excited about the last part. Okay. So it says, as he passed by, he saw a man that was blind from birth. And so this man that was blind from birth had obviously like everyone knew of him because he was out in front of the temple and he was begging. So it was, it was pretty famous. He actually bragged about being blind from birth. Blind from birth meant he was, as he grew up, he didn't get to go to synagogue and learn the Bible like all the other kids because he was he was an invalid. So they, they basically just shunned them. They, that's why he was begging. He couldn't work. Obviously, he couldn't work. And so he had to... Uh, he was kind of an outcast of society, and uh, and so he's he's sitting there and he's begging, and he, and a blind someone that's blind from birth is way worse than someone who became blind because that's like just it's completely hopeless, and there's there's no there's nothing good for him. So um, so they're 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 dealing with these people. Jesus had just walked out from dealing with these people. The blind guy's birthright is blindness. And he's just been dealing with these people who had this different mindset of what their birthright was. They're like, "We're sons of Abraham." Like they're boasting about their, their the Abrahamic covenant and how they are the ones that get it, and they have this her- hereditary advantages because they're sons of Abraham. And they're saying, "We see. Like we get it. We don't need you to tell us about all this stuff. We actually see." And Jesus is saying, "Actually, dummy, you're blind. You're the ones that are blind. All these people that are just..." open to seeking out God, they're the ones that are that are really seeing. But but you think you got it all together. You're the one that's blind. And he's, he's Jesus is always drawn to the ones that are in need. Always. I think there's several of you that are exactly like that. That that every time you see someone in need, you're just kind of drawn to them. Any of you? Like but I know that for like my wife, anytime she sees someone crying, instantly she is crying. Like, remember that show, The Biggest Loser? People were crying on that show every week. They're like, oh, look, I lost 30 pounds. And they would cry like all the time. And every time we watched it, she would cry. Just this compassion that some of y'all have it, some of y'all don't. Like, uh, <laughs> If you're crying, i am be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I'll probably cry too. So the Pharisees are these these, the blind and the hard-hearted, and they're not even asking to see. They don't even want to see. Pay attention to this. Vanity conceals radical defects and weaknesses. Your vanity will conceal your brokenness, where you actually aren't seeing, where you are actually blind. Pride hides from the sinner their own sins. And pride cannot get in the way. If you allow pride to get in the way, you're never going to come to a place where you're like, I need to repent. Because you're like, oh, I got it together. At least I'm not as bad as... Like, everybody knows somebody that they can say, well, I mean, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as... You all know somebody. At least I'm not as bad as Randy. Like, I could, it could be worse. Yeah, or at least I'm not as bad as my cousin or my uncle. Or He's in prison. He's been in prison. Everybody's got an uncle in prison. And he's, you know... At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You can always think of somebody. And that's the problem because your pride is preventing you from repentance. Your pride is for preventing you from saying, you know, uh, uh, how about at least I'm not as good as Jesus. Once you get as good as Jesus, then you can stop trying. Then you can stop repenting. Temporary blindness um, to our, our faults is one of the symptoms of disconnection with the Lord. If you're blind to your, you're blind to your faults, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I think I'm in a good place. I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm actually figuring it out. I, I think I got it down. Uh, you're, you're actually in a way worse place than you were before you ever started. It goes on. He says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they're looking for the explanation. Why is this man blind? Like a, so they, they jump to the point. Let me just, I need to make a little side note. We will never understand it all. Never. Though you may find some really intelligent people who love to explain it to you, they're in seminary or they just graduated seminary. (laughs) The just graduated seminary are the ones that know it all. Trust me, they're awesome. Cemetery, Cemetery, not seminary, cemetery. So so they're, they're we're not ever going to be able to connect all the dots. You can try and you should try to understand God what is your heart for these people why is your why is it like this but you're never going to fully understand. Think about the, who is the wisest person that's ever walked the earth? Solomon. Solomon we all know that Solomon was the wisest person to ever walk on the earth. Now think of the the, the distance between the intelligence the of the wisest person to ever walk the earth and the dumbest person to ever walk the earth in the White House. And dumbest person. <coughs> I can't believe he said that. we got to edit that out later. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But think of you got the, the wisest person to ever walk the earth and the, the, the person with the least intelligence to ever walk the earth. The distance between those two, dumbest to wisest, is not even perceivable in the distance between the wisest person and God's wisdom. So much more. Solomon knew more than any other person that's ever walked the earth. And he knew a fraction of the things that there are to know. God knows every one of them. And you think that somehow you're going to be able to explain why God does what he does? Why God has allowed the things that he's allowed like, God, you should heal this person because that would be good. Well, if he doesn't do it, there's a reason for that, that you don't get to understand because you are closer to here than here, right? Yeah. I'm not calling you dummies. I'm just saying, in, in comparison to God, we're not even like, we can't compare. We know that we can't compare. The distance between God's knowledge and man's knowledge is like n- nothing. It's like your knowledge versus an ant, nothing the the word to try to describe evil and why evil exists is called theodicy and theodicy is the vindication of divine goodness and providence in the view of the existence of evil the answer to the problem of evil is theodicy and we can try to explain it all we can try to say well there's evil in the world have you ever had this question ever heard this question if god is good then why is there evil in the world Ever heard any kind of f- version of that question? Well, I get that question all the time. And it really is very simple. The reason, it, the next time someone asks you, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Point to that person and say, because you're here. Like, that's the truth. Because sin is in the world. And as long as sin is in the world, there's going to be brokenness, there's going to be pain, there's going to be evil. We're evil. Apart from him, we are evil, right? Right? Some of us are more evil because we steal the pastor's saw during church. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) If God is good, then why do people suffer? If God has the ability to end suffering, why does he continue to allow suffering? And here's what you say to people when they say that. I don't know. God knows. For some reason, I think that he knows more than we know what people want to do is they want to place the blame on someone or they place the blame on God. Obviously, if you believe the Bible, you know that God is good. All the time. And all the time. We know this. Like, we know this, that God is good. And if God is good, and we truly believe God is good, and something that He has the ability to do, He doesn't do, then there must be a reason for that. Right? Right? So... People want to point the blame and put the blame on someone, and they say, "Oh, you know, the, the reason your life is like it is because your parents did this, or your or your spouse did this, or someone did this to you." Or, um, it and so that's kind of what the disciples are hinting at. If you're honest, some, some, not all, but some of the the problems that you have in life are a result of your own sin. Yes. yes. Okay. So not all of them. All of the problems in your life are not a result of your own sin. There's a lot of things that that happen to you that you have absolutely no control over, and they're big things at times. But there's a lot of things that you do that are your fault, and your sin is your fault. If you have Jesus, if you're following Jesus, then you have power over sin. So you are free. You never have to sin again. There you go. You're you're not going to ever sin again, right? <laughs> I mean, you do have to. You have power over sin, so you don't have to. You probably will. I'm not now, some of y'all probably will. <laughs> Fortunately, he doesn't hold our sins against us now in this, in this life. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. And if we want to blame someone, you just want to point to someone to blame for sin, it's Adam and Eve, right? Like they brought it into the world. Like they're the ones that got us into this mess. So if you really just want to point at something, you have to, to point at, why was this man born blind? Well, because Adam and Eve sinned. And it, it, was, it was their sin that introduced all of this stuff that we now have to live with. But that doesn't mean that you haven't sinned. You've sinned, right? Yeah. As long as you keep sinning, there's going to be brokenness and hurt and pain in the world. As long as there's sin in the world, there's going to be brokenness and hurt and pain and darkness. And so to get specific and try to blame um, a certain people or to, to blame specific people, Um, Is a very dangerous proposition. That's what the Nazis did in World War II. They blamed the Jews for all of the problems that are in the world. But in the end, here's what you need to rest in. Only God knows why babies are born with handicaps, and only God can turn those handicaps into something that will bring good to people and glory to his name. Only God can do it, and only God understands it. You will not understand it. So sometimes you just have to let go and say, I just trust God. I just trust God. That's all we can do is trust God, right? And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man and his parents said he was born blind. What I don't like about this is the calloused and cold nature that the the disciples are walking through and they see this blind man sitting there, this blind beggar sitting there, and they're talking about theology. Like they want to know, they they have no compassion whatsoever for this man that is hurting and lost and broken, and and they have no compassion over this guy. But they're like, hey, this is a good opportunity for us to learn something. So what's the theological understanding here? Um, They don't really care about the man's condition. Sometimes... We can get too busy with our theology to notice the pain of the lost and hurting and dying. Here, I'll make it personal for you. Sometimes we can get too busy with our politics to notice that the person that's on the other side of what you believe is a person that is lost and hurt and dying. If you believe that your conservative way is the truth, is biblically lined up, then the person that you're condemning is someone that is in need of the truth. And your responsibility as someone that is a guardian of truth is to bring them in. And you're arguing with them online, that's not gonna win them. Have you ever met anyone that's like, you know what, that is a valid argument. I shall repent now and give my heart to Jesus because you told me about how bad I am. That's not how you win people. You win people by showing compassion and showing love. And so there are real people with real needs that we interact with daily. And you can keep arguing with them. Keep arguing your politics and see what you win. You're, you're not going to win anything. You're, and you're not going to win them to your way of thinking. It's love and compassion. If you believe you're, that, that your way of believing those kinds of things is lined up biblically, then... Uh, you need to line yourself up biblically. You all with me? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Time and time and time again, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, is it this or is it this? It's this or that, one or the other. It's, It's one of these two things. Sometimes, every time, You go to Jesus and you say, Look, I have to take this job or this job. And Jesus, you submit it to him and say, Which job do you want me to take? This one or this one? And sometimes he says, How about this one? And it's better. It's better. Sometimes you go to Jesus and and you say, All right, do I have to eat the broccoli or do I have to eat the apples? And God says, Jesus says to you, What about chocolate cake? And you're like, oh, that's better. <laughs> you, you always think because you know so much, you're like this or that, which one am I supposed to do, this or that? They always go to Jesus and, like, Jesus, is it this or is it that? Is it this man's sins or is it his parents' sins? And Jesus's like, no, it's neither one of those. It's so that God's glory can be shown and God's glory will be shown. It's not always what it seems. We can pass judgment on people that we interact with because we know, right? Have you ever seen anybody with a sign, holding up a sign that says this? Made of cardboard? And you, sit, you see them out your window as you pull up to the light, and you're like, and you look at your phone because you don't want to interact with them, those dirty people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Like, and, and you, you have all the, like, you got it all figured out because it's their sins that got them in that position. And if I give them money, then they're going to buy alcohol or they're going to buy drugs. Or, I mean, they probably make more than I do on this street corner. No one's ever said that. You've never even thought that. Or they just need to get out and get a job. They're just lazy. We need to be careful of judging people and drawing conclusions that their condition is a result of their sins. Because sometimes it is. Sometimes they're lazy bums and they don't want to get a job. And sometimes bad stuff happened to them. And they're in that position because something happened to them. And they want more than anything, they want to be out of that position. Sometimes bad stuff happens to you, not because you're bad. Sometimes bad stuff happens to you because you're good. Oh, we don't want that one. No, thanks. I don't, no, thanks. I don't want that one. Job, one day... This is from the message, so y'all get mad if you want later. Uh, one day... When the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said, what have you been up to? And Satan answered God, going here and there, checking things out on the earth. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. And if you follow the story of Job, the cause of Job's trouble was not that he was bad. It was that he was good. He had all kinds of problems in his life because he was good. And, and God wanted to show him off before the whole universe to say, look at my servant Job. No matter what happens to him, he follows me. He loves me. And so Job's friends, aren't. if you know the story of Job, like who needs enemies when you can have friends like Job's friends? They're great. And so Job's friends, like they make this mistake. And in the end, God rebukes Job's friends for assuming that there was some kind of sin, so when you see the person holding up the sign, how can you know that their sins aren't what got them there? First of all, so what? If it was their sins that got them there, what's that to you? You're supposed to show compassion. You're supposed to show love, even if it is their fault. But a good way to find out how they got to this, their situation is to say something like, tell me your story. Every single time, and I, I've done this a lot because I, I like people that are outside of the family. I love interacting with them. And I'll say, tell me your story. They always tell you their story. And another thing that's very common that I've seen is it's never their fault. Never. It, it really is, but they don't think it's their fault. And so they have all these reasons and all these excuses. But more often than not, I've had a Holy Spirit, gospel-centered encounter with them. And and they, whether their life is different or not, mine is. Whenever I, One time a guy came and he, and I told this story before, and I don't tell this story so that you'll think, man, Randy's so awesome. Y'all already think that. So um, the, <laughs> this guy came and he was like, he's like, oh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm down on my luck. We were helping rebuild this church and I'm down on my luck right now. I just need a little bit of help. Can y'all give me some money? And, and as I'm talking to him, I don't have any cash. I never have cash. I promise you, if we were to look in my wallet right now, I could do this, zero in it okay? And it's not because I'm poor. Jessica just doesn't trust me with money. So uh, <laughs> so, the, the, so he says, uh, he's like, I'm just kind of down. I'm like, I don't have any cash. And I'm, as I'm talking to him and just trying to find out his story, I look down and his shoes were, he had been walking. He was just walking, walking and walking. And the Lord told me, give him your shoes. And I'm like, and as soon as I, f- I get that feeling, I look at my shoes. And I'm like, no, not these. <laughs> like they were my favorite shoes. I had just got them. And they were nice shoes. And, and the Lord, and I couldn't get away from it. I'm like, as I'm talking, to this guy, I'm arguing with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Like, he's probably not even this size. Like, there's no way he could wear these shoes. And so I'm like, hey, um, what size shoes are you? And it's the exact same size as mine. And so I was like, hey, I, please don't take offense to this, but can I give you my shoes? And he's like, no, those are nice shoes. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and so the thing is, He had those shoes and no other shoes. And I had those shoes and many other shoes. And so I I gave him those shoes. And I'm telling you, it made an impact on me and it made an impact on him. But, I mean, God did something in him and he did something in that interaction uh, that was just beautiful. And it was only because I was open to, to letting the Lord use me. I didn't care why he was where he was. Like I, as far as I didn't, I, I wasn't gonna condemn him because it was bad choices of of his. It was God set that up so that we could have an encounter and the Holy Spirit could could speak to him through me. And it was it was just beautiful. Y'all have had those kind of encounters, right? And you know it. Like you know if you if you just stay tuned in, you know right when the moment that the Holy Spirit starts speaking and you stop, and you look back and you're like. I don't even know what I said. Like, you know that, right? And it's beautiful. And you you get to do those things. But you don't get to do those things if you're not staying sensitive. And if you're not putting yourself in a spot where, all right, Holy Spirit's going to have to say something because I don't know what to say. You got to keep putting yourself in those kind of positions. So, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed or revealed in him. The word for revealed is phaneros. And phaneros means... Uh, to make manifest or visible what has been hidden. Did you know that God's works aren't always obvious? Sometimes what God is doing is not super-duper clear in the moment. And sometimes when we're blessed, God chooses to reveal His hand and and, uh, that He helps people to be more aware of what it is that He's doing, but not always. Sometimes we think, Why doesn't God heal this person? He should heal this person because healing this person would be good. And sometimes he doesn't heal the person because there's something else going on that you will not know this side of heaven. Um, So I would just challenge you. Maybe God knows more than you know. Maybe. 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 Jesus didn't look at this man's difficulty as being a result of someone's sin, but as an opportunity for God to work. And sometimes the way God works is he heals the thing. And we pray for people to be healed because we believe that God is a healer. We pray for people to be healed. And I'm, I'm going to guess probably 95% of the people in the room have actually seen someone be healed from prayer, that, they're, that we prayed for someone and they got healed. And we believe in healing and we pray often for healing. Um, what I believe, and this is going to be something that's it's a little a little difficult for you to understand, but what I believe is every every believer is healed at some point. Every single believer is healed at some point. Now, either they are healed in this life, and they no longer have to deal with the sickness or disease or brokenness that they, they were dealing with, or their body dies, and the moment they're absent from the body and they're in the presence of the Lord, they're healed. When you step out of your body as a believer, you are completely and totally healed for all eternity. You know how you've, like, since you were a teenager, you've been limping a little bit because your ankle, remember when you hurt your ankle when you were a teenager? When you step into heaven, no longer going to have that ankle pain. All the pain, the back pain, it's the shoulder, what am I, like what's, your, like, what's your pain? Like, we all have them. And the older we get, the more we get the pains. Like, I have this thing on my hamstring I've been dealing with. Like, I can't wait to go to heaven. My hamstring's are not going to be sore no more. (laughs) I'm going to be able to run so fast in heaven. Either in this life, healing comes, or the moment you step out of the body, healing comes. If you've lost someone to sickness, that person, if they were a believer, that person was healed the moment they stepped out of their broken body. And it's beautiful. It's like Jesus is waiting with his arms like, come on, come on. Fall into my arms. I'm waiting for you, and he'll catch you every single time. And uh, in Romans it says, "God works all things together for the good for those who love Him and are called according to their according to His purposes." If we believe Scripture, then we just have to trust God. My pastor always said this thing that bothered me because he said he always said, "Look, nothing bad will ever happen to a Christian." And then you think my saw got stolen, okay? (laughs) Nothing bad will ever happen to a Christian. But what that means is if we have God's view, then he redeems it all, that God works everything together for good. Disasters almost always, disasters always end up being our friend. Disasters always end up being a good thing. So sometimes, where sickness is involved, sometimes God heals the sickness, and 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 there's this beautiful work of healing. And then sometimes, He just develops endurance. He develops endurance in you. Sometimes uh, He'll heal you, and sometimes. He'll just let you keep going and running that race. And that endurance that you have while in the brokenness, while in the pain, while in the sickness is a testimony to how good God is because he is still there with you. And other people are looking at you and say, how is it that you can do this? How can you endure when you should, if that was me, I would have fallen apart. And you're like, no, it's only because God is with me. And it's a beautiful testimony of how good God is. Have you ever watched your toddler struggle with a thing, and you could easily like they're they're doing something and they're like, What's wrong with you? You're such a dumb little kid, and like they're just trying to figure something out, and then and then you could easily just reach over and fix the thing and it would be done. But you let them struggle with it, and you let them struggle with it because they're learning in the struggle, right? They're they're being taught maybe the distance between your mentality and your intelligence and the but and a toddler's intelligence is not quite as far as your intelligence and God's intelligence. Maybe God knows maybe you and the toddler are the same yeah. when it comes to God. Like maybe sometimes you go through some things and you struggle through some things and he lets you so that you can learn. He knows We trust him. Look, if he let Paul do it, Paul, who is, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The guy was a sold-out believer if there ever was one. And so this is what Paul said. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Again, let me show you the, the message version of this same scripture. I like it. At first... I didn't think of my problem as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weaknesses. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. What if we really truly had the attitude of, my pain is a gift because it's bringing me closer to God. If you, if you could just sit down and be brutally honest with yourself, you will also say in your worst moment, you were closer to God than in your best moment. But you, would never, you don't want worst moments. You don't want bad moments, even though you know in your bad moments, you're closer to God. And what if we just c- celebrate and said, Look, in my brokenness, I'm closer to God, so God, I will, I will draw close to you at all times. That's the kind of people we need to be, that we just trust him. If the thing hasn't happened yet, it's not supposed to happen yet. Keep praying for it to happen. Keep praying for the breakthrough. Keep praying for the healing. And if God wants to heal, he will heal. And if God wants you to, to suffer, why would God want his kids to suffer? there's no way God would let his kids suffer. Look, if you came to hear one of those feel-good sermons that's like, if you will just do all the right things, all the good stuff will happen to you. If you will tithe, you will be rich. If you, if you will, well, it, look, you're not gonna hear those kinds of things here. You're just gonna hear what the Bible says. And I'm not sorry for that. You can go other places and, and leave feeling good. But here, you're just gonna leave feeling bad every week. It's like, ah, oh, I hate this, it's It's terrible. Sometimes we suffer and it's for our own good. Sometimes we suffer and it's not for our own good. It's for other people's good. That's hard. Sometimes we suffer and it's for other people's good and we'll never meet those people. We'll never have any idea that those people ever even existed. But other people were drawn closer to God and God was given glory because of your suffering. Is it worth it? You say that now. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Then He's referring to the cross, that night is coming when you're not supposed to walk in front. They didn't tell you. It's okay. Hey, Jordan, no one noticed. <laughs> Poor girl. I can't believe y'all did that. He's, so Jesus referring to the cross and there was, there was coming a time when Jesus would no longer be working works on the earth and he would, he would die on the cross, he'd raise again and, and then he would ascend to heaven and, and um, so he's saying, look, work while you can. We all think we're going to have plenty more of opportunities to invite our neighbor to church or to invite our neighbor to dinner. We think we're going to have plenty more opportunities. Work while you can. Do the thing when you can. How many of you would say, I wish I had started sooner. Like we all say that every time we do something. We're like, oh, why did I wait? Like I should have, like we all like, I wanna work out. Like you start working out, you're like, oh, why did I wait so long? Or you start eating right. Just kidding, y'all ain't doing that. Um, or you, you just, <laughs> when you start eating right, I wish I'd started sooner. I wish, you always think that. Do the thing. Like, work while you can. Jesus puts these opportunities in front of us, and we're supposed to grab a hold of those opportunities. It's easy to put things off. It's easy to wait till later. Some of the opportunities that we keep putting off may not be there later. So have no regerts. regrets. No regrets. Like, run after the things when, when we know there's an opportunity. Run after those things. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We've ta- in chapter 8, there's so many times where he talked about being a light. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them, again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And he was talking during the Feast of Tabernacles. During the Feast of Tabernacles, they, they would light this giant menorah. It's like a pillar of fire in the temple courts. And it's, it was an example of them following the Lord, following the light of the Lord in the wilderness, and it was this beautiful. Jesus saying, "I am the light of the world. Follow me, and you will have light to your path. If you will do what I say, you'll have light to your path. You'll know where to go." And he'd been he'd been talking with a woman that was caught in the act of adultery, and he says, "He says neither where are your accusers." And he says, "Neither do I. They're gone. Neither do I condemn you. Like I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Go in the light." And sin no more. Go and be what you're supposed to be. Go in the light, knowing the way. And so he calls her out of darkness. But a blind person has no concept of what light is. Someone that's born blind would never even have any idea what light is. It's like the guy, you know the story where um, the guy um, is healed but not fully Like he's blind, but he he starts seeing, and he says, what do you see? He's like, I see people walking around like trees. Y'all remember that story? How do you know what trees look like? I don't know either. I was just wondering if y'all knew. I'm going to Google it. A truly blind person can't see light. Someone that's spiritually blind can't see the way they're supposed to go. They can't see the light that they're supposed to be. Imagine never having no concept. A blind person is someone who only knows their own reality. The spiritually blind people in your life only know their own reality. They may think they are doing what is right. And then you show them, look, Jesus is right. This way is right this way is better even if we didn't have heaven waiting for us at the end of our lives following jesus is still a better way to live it's just a better way to live and so they the 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 spiritually blind truly don't get it they don't even know that they don't get it like fish don't know they're wet it's just their reality like, broken people, lost people, they don't know that they're sinners. Whenever you try to take the person that's the thug or the the person that doesn't know God and you say, you're a sinner, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, so? Like, I don't care what you think of me. That's not going to win somebody. It's the compassion and the love that's going to win somebody. It's not the calling people out and telling them how evil they are. Um, so... Um, he goes on, he says, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. Now, is it unholy for me to say, ooh? Like, think of that. Hey, everybody, all right, we're all going to be the blind man for just a second. Everybody, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Here, Jesus is there, and you hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and they are like, all right, Jesus, what you doing out there? <laughs> like, and so... Some would say, like some Bible scholars say that the reason he made the mud was so that he would, he, he puts it on his eyes so that he would go and he would wash. He had to, to walk over to the, the, uh, the pool of Siloam. So it, it wasn't right there. So he wanted them to go and move and it was, a, it was an irritant. And Jesus healed and he healed blindness specifically in so many different ways. In Matthew 9, he touched them and they were healed. In Mark 8, he spit in someone's eyes and they were healed. It's gross. Uh, in Mark 10... Mark 10, he just said it, and they were healed. He just spoke the words, and they were healed. Here, he puts mud in someone's eyes. And the the Bible talks about the people that that don't know are spiritually blind. The people that don't know the truth are spiritually blind. And there's a lot of ways that Jesus reaches people that are spiritually blind. One of the biggest ways that Jesus reaches people that are spiritually blind is you. You are the mud. Think about it. Your earth... With a little bit of Jesus mixed in, and you're irritating people. <laughs> like, it's true. It's it's true in a and it's true in a way that it's it's messy. Like it's just messy. And and we're supposed to go and and indicate that there's more. There's more for people. You go and you speak to them, not in an obnoxious way, but sometimes as we speak and as we tell people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes in and he inhabits our conversation, and it and it irritates people to where they're like something's something's going on in my in my soul here, that I need to find out more about. And maybe this side of heaven, you'll have no idea that that conversation that you had with somebody ten years ago uh, pushed them in a direction that now they know Jesus. All you have to do is just keep talking, like keep spitting mud in people's eyes, like keep being the the. The holy irritant. Like, I don't know of a nice way to say that. So, let's finish out the chapter. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is him. Others said, No, but he's like him. And he kept saying, Yo, it's me. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. The simplicity of the way that this man shared his testimony is absolutely beautiful. Look how simple it is. I was blind and then Jesus said something and now I see. That's all you need for your testimony. That's all you have to do to share your testimony with someone. What we tend to do whenever we think about sharing Jesus with someone is we're like, I don't know. I just don't know the Bible that well. Like I, we have the three, Christian, three groups of Christians the, or the three groups of people that we want in church, the mature Christians, the newly saved or immature Christians, and then the thugs. If I were to poll the room right now and say, all right, who is a mature Christian? Most of you would not say that you are a mature Christian. There are a few of you, maybe five, that would say, I would consider myself a mature Christian. Most of you would say, I am in the middle seat. I'm an immature Christian who doesn't get it because I cuss sometimes. Okay, And, and then some of you really want to be the thug, but you're saved so you, like, you shouldn't be the thug, but you, keep, like, you carry a knife around just in case. And so in reality, most of you in here are mature Christians. And what, one of the things that, that makes you a mature Christian is that you understand that you don't know everything. And when you can get to a spot where you can, and and this takes practice and it takes time, um, where you can get to a spot where you say, all right, Lord, I'm at the end of me, your turn. And you stop trying to do it and you just let him do it. Uh, It's difficult to do, but that's what mature Christians do. They come to the end of themselves quickly because they know they don't know nothing. The more you learn, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know nothing. Immature Christians think that they know all the things. They're like, and they're just really excited. They want to go tell everyone. And then like, and you want to sit in the immature chair because you don't want to be held accountable. You don't want to be like, oh, I'm a I'm not a mature Christian, so I can keep messing up over here. And you don't want to be held accountable for your laziness. And I mean that in a loving pastoral way. You don't want to be held accountable for that you actually need to be in this chair over here. You need to be a mature Christian. And get out of this seat because someone else needs that seat. And you got to move into that third. And then when you get to the third of being a mature Christian, and then you start to think, well, I know it. Like, I, I, yeah, I got it. I'm like, as soon as you start knowing it all, you get to move back to the immature seat. Like, okay, go back. back. You can't be a leader here because you know too much. And then you figure out, oh, wait, I don't know. You can move back to the mature seat. Most of you are mature Christians. Most of you truly are mature Christians. M- a mature Christian doesn't mean better than the immature Christian. The mature Christian knows that they're here to serve, right. that they're here to give their life as a ransom. God, it gets me every time, It's to give their life as a ransom. And so if you understand that, share your testimony. You know how easy it is to share your testimony? You, you think, well, I don't know how the Bible well enough. Like, I don't know about what, they're going to ask me questions. And I, don't know, I don't know how to answer. And like, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. When people say, I've had people bring someone to, like, this person wants to pray to receive Jesus. And so it's funny because I twisted on them. And like, hey, this person wants to pray to receive Jesus. And I'm like, okay, pray with them. And they're like, I don't know how. I was like, wait, did you pray to receive Jesus? Yes, do that. Whatever you said when you received Jesus, like if you prayed the super prayer or whatever that is, like pray with them. They want to turn their life over. They want to repent. Pray with them. You can do that wherever you are. If you've done that in your life, if you've prayed to, to turn your life over to Jesus, you can pray with other people to turn their life over to Jesus. It's not that hard because it's not about your magic words. It's not a spell. It's not the prayer of Jabez, okay? It's not a secret, secret word you got to say to unlock the, the power, it's the condition of the heart. And when, that, when somebody comes to you and they say, hey, my life is totally messed up and I need it to not be, help me. Like, I can tell you, if you follow, if you, if you just, I know the one that is the light to, to light your darkened path, let me show you him. And then pray with them. Here's how you share your testimony. I was this and then Jesus came and now I'm this. Not now that now I've arrived now. I'm perfect. I mean come on <laughs> And then When I tell people this and i've taught this a billion times when I tell people they're like well, what if they ask me about like evolution Or what if they ask me like I, I try to explain The gospel to them and then they say or I try to give them my testimony and they're like, well, what about eschatology? Or what about the priestly lineage of Melchizedek? What am I going to do if they say that? What if they ask me about the end times to explain the book of Revelation to them? What am I going to do? This is what you do. You go, "Uh uh-huh. This is what I know. I was blind and now I see. I was dead and now I'm alive. I I was lost and now I'm found. I was sick and now I'm healed. I was lonely and now I'm loved. I was condemned and now I'm free. That's your story. And you got to tell your story. The church, not our church, the church, the big church, is full of people that look out and point and tell everybody else how to do it. Who wants to go to that? Who wants to go be part of that? What I want you to do, what I want Life Church New Braunfels to do, is I want you to go and be part of them, and I want you to love them with, with authenticity. There's a story of Igor Stravinsky, was a, a Russian composer, and and he wrote this uh, this piece of music called the Ebony Concerto, and it's for Woody Herman and the Herd. Y'all remember him, right? Woody Herman and the Herd. <laughs> Woody Herman and the Herd was this jazz band in the in the 40s. Woody Herman and the Herd was the jazziest jazzers to ever jazz, okay? They were I mean they had Stravinsky writing music for them Okay, They were, they were the big time And so Stravinsky is, is They're having a really hard time Getting this arrangement right And they're just butting heads and they can't figure it out And so they call this guy named Neil Hefty Neil Hefty was this world class Arranger of music He was also a musician He played the trumpet He actually wrote the, uh, the theme to The, uh, the Odd Couple da-dun, 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 da-dun. Y'all know this song right the, the young people are like What's The Odd Couple Okay, shut up. Uh, so, so Neil Hefty is there, and, and he, says, he says to Stravinsky, he's like, hey, tell me exactly what you want, and then I'll try to get it across to the boys. And so he says, what I want is a sforzando that is, that is followed up by a subtle decrescendo. And he says this in this thick Russian accent. And then, and then Hefty's like, okay, gotcha. And he turns around to the band, and he says bend it, boys, and they get it. Like, they understand. They're like, oh, why didn't he just say that? Like, just bend it. Like, they knew exactly what it meant because they were jazz musicians. Bend it. Like, that's, bend it. Make the music work. We need to go into the world and speak the language that they speak. That doesn't mean the profanity. That means we need to speak the language that they speak. We need to speak in a way that they understand. Please, forget your Christianese forget the you're going to be come to our church where you can be washed in the blood of Jesus. Please don't tell people they're going to be washed in the blood here because people that don't know what that means are going to be like, "gross. No thanks. I don't want any of that." We need to speak the language of compassion. And what sets Life Church apart, what's different about us, is we speak the language of authenticity. That we're we love you. Genuinely love you. And we are, we are trying to, to show you the way, the way to follow Jesus. And if you will do that life church, we will change the world. I promise you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for the way that you just you continue to do this. or we know that it's not because we're good. We know that it's not because we have anything figured out. We know that it's only because of you that you are the only good. And what we want to do is we want to be a people that are a, a light in the community, that are drawing people to a relationship with you. We want to be people that are ready to give a testimony of your goodness in season and out of season. We will be ready with our testimony at any moment that I was broken, I was lost, I was hurting, and then you happened. And then I came into a relationship with you, and now I'm free, and now I'm healed, and now I'm loved. I don't ever have to doubt if I'm loved again because I know that I'm loved by you. We thank you, Lord. We are so excited for the days ahead. and We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.